0: Welcome back to another episode of the Oklahoma Today podcast, bringing you all the best in Oklahoma. This week, we are talking to one of the best writers around, our favorite freelancer, the incredible gifted Gordon Grice. But first, let's get into our question of the week. We asked you, what's the best thing that most people don't know about your hometown? First up is Editor in Chief Nathan Gunner. Uh, My hometown of Weatherford is the
1: birthplace of Thomas P. Stafford, one of the most amazing astronauts who ever lived. He piloted a ship around the far side of the moon and uh, was the pilot on a mission where we docked with a Russian ship on the far side of the moon out of touch with Earth. So, he, if anything went wrong, it was just too bad. Um, and that's just an amazing thing to have done. And he's kind of one of my heroes. Yeah. That's- so, that's mine. Thomas P. Stafford is from Weatherford, Oklahoma. He's Man. a cool dude.
0: <laughs> really blowing mine out of the water here. Managing editor Carly Barr.
2: <laughs> um, so, I'm from Edmond. Um, and I don't actually know a whole lot about Edmund, sadly, but they do have a beautiful little historical society museum that if you've never been to, you should absolutely go. And they do little, like, scavenger hunts all the time and stuff for, like, kids will have a ton of fun there, too. So
0: yeah. Awesome. They also, they don't uh, shy away from... from Dark historical mm-hmm. topics either—that's one thing I. Really? Uh, a lot of small town uh, historical societies, I think, would struggle with some of that. But Edmund kind of faces full forward on it. Uh, photo editor Megan Rossman.
3: Um. Well, I suppose the first uh, city that I lived in in Oklahoma was Edmund, so I suppose that is my Oklahoma hometown, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, they have a lot of good thrift stores in Edmond. I I will say that. And also, I went to Mitch Park for the first time, I think, last year. And I was like, wow, this is really nice. It's a nice park. Um, I'd never been there before.
0: And wait, they, Way to wait until it became a historic park, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> it it, uh, it
3: has a really cool YMCA. I didn't go in it, but I was like, man, oh, if I lived yeah. in
0: Edmond, mm-hmm. I would go to this it YMCA has, It has a water slide that goes mm-hmm. out and back yeah, into the building. cool. Yeah. I was just
3: like, man, Edmond really is the wow. a great place to grow. <laughs> uh,
4: All right, Ben Lucian, what, what about your hometown? My hometown is the Village, Oklahoma, <laughs> and my favorite fact about the village is that it is, in fact, a town... <laughs> Uh, and not part of Oklahoma City and we it's have not our, a village yes the village is a is not a village it's, a town it's not like a the village. village it's not a village it's a town and it has a mayor and it has a council and uh, that's about it
1: <laughs> okay all right the village.
0: Well, what, about uh, you, what, what do you have to say about Edmund? What do I have to say about Edmund? Uh, <laughs> I'm the only I'm the only one who grew up there and still lives there. So, uh, one thing that uh, our readers should at least know is uh, that Edmund has a really great public art program. Yes, oh they do. yeah, uh, we had, we a, had great a story, story about, about it. it. Yeah, uh, but but even past that story, I highly recommend heading to downtown Edmund and walking around. It's they've the place is a lot different than it was 10 or 20 years ago even, but uh, so much cool public art, lots of really big murals, uh, little parklets popping up all mm-hmm. over the place, and they have a food hall, and, you know, it's... Uh, it... Also, they have Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem.
4: Yeah, Jerusalem. Yeah,
0: Jerusalem. It's a restaurant. It's a restaurant. An, an, an Oklahoma not, not the city in the Middle favorite, East. Uh, not the holy city, <laughs> just the holy restaurant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, boy, how do you know what I love is that so many people reply to this without listing what their hometown is, so let's play that. a game. I love that. Let's see if we can guess what some of them are. Hope Cohen-Knowles said, hugely diverse population, the earth doesn't drop off before you get here, and we have some better than average people. I love well, our small towns and town community. In Oklahoma. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, Sandra Soli said that there is a road in my hometown that will slowly take you up a hill when you turn off the ignition. We've done this. We have. Yes. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. Magnet Hill. Magnet in, Hill. In, in, I don't remember what town. There are three... There are uh, three magnetic Hill. hills in Oklahoma. Oh, the mystery so. deepens
0: as to the location of Sandy Soli's hometown. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mary Ellen Thompson Cromwell said Czech Festival and kolaches. That's gotta be. If it's Czech Festival, it's Yukon, because oh, in Prague it's yeah. it's kolache festival. And some really good family-owned restaurants like The Local, Green Chili, and oh. Hinson's. Yeah, he's <laughs> definitely Yukon. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Sonny Travis Hightower said the kolache festival, Jim Thorpe, and National Shrine of the Infant Jesus. That's pray. Yeah, that's pray. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeff Cooper said, "Why our mascot is an outlaw?" So, oh, that's, again, it could be a lot again, of places. Still water. Yeah. I Possibly. bet. I bet Stillwater. Yeah. Uh Lana Larkin, uh that my hometown is hilly, not flat. It doesn't have red earth like some other parts of Oklahoma. That Native Americans live here just as everyone else does. They aren't confined to a reservation. Uh that could be so, anywhere. I'm gonna well, guess Pahuska. But honestly, if you think about it, when people I I, I think I've told oh, yeah. the story to you guys many times before, but there in high school there was a kid who was like, Hey, where are the reservations? Like where are the forts and do the oh, Indians attack? Oh, no, I right. like Yeah, no, people yeah. have. <laughs> interesting ideas about what Oklahoma is like. They really uh, do. And Elizabeth Autry said, uh, we have two prima ballerinas that were sisters and minorities and hail from our little town. It is also the site of the majority of murders of Native Americans due to the discovery of oil.
1: I'm not I'm not naming, I mean, that's gotta be
0: Pahuska. Yeah. 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 Like, <laughs> ugh. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> yikes. Yeah. Well, I mean, got look, there's gonna be a movie soon, folks. That's true. So, so look out for Flowers of the Killer Moon, coming soon. Uh, <laughs> killers of the Flower Moon.
2: Killers of the, flower. killers flowers of, of the
0: killer moon killers of the flower moon moon killers with flowers you know what two electric boogaloo <laughs> exactly uh,
4: <yeah.
0: laughs> why why don't we talk to gordon grice about
1: animals why and grasslands we? we are delighted to welcome onto the podcast today gordon grice gordon it's
5: such a pleasure uh, thank you it's nice to be here
1: You had one of my favorite things in our most recent issue, uh, a wonderful story about Oklahoma grasslands and their ecology. Um, Can you talk a little bit about some of the some of the things that uh, some of the places you went and and why why it is they matter? We think of Oklahoma when you think of Oklahoma. I mean, grass is obviously everywhere. So why do these why do these protected grasslands? Why are they so important?
5: Uh, Just to start with, um, we all know, you know, the huge. Uh, problems that we have on our planet with um, deforestation, with uh, the loss of uh, plants that um, are part of the carbon cycle and ultimately are deeply involved in global warming uh, and protecting us from some of that. Uh, But what we don't hear so much about is that grasslands are also intimately involved in that and uh, are immensely important in uh, the carbon cycle and the nitrogen cycle. And um, I, I, as I was looking at it, I uh, into grasslands, um, I, I was sort of struck by how little there is um, about grass. I mean, the scientists are on top of this. The biologists are doing a lot of work, at, especially at places like OSU. Um, but um, I mean, it's easy to read about trees and, you know, we have poems about trees and um, it, uh news discussions about the importance of forests and so forth but people don't seem to realize how important the grasslands are for pretty much the same reasons um and i think it's because you know you look at a, a patch of grass and there's a million pieces of grass and we don't We don't connect with them as individual plants, Uh, but overall in the aggregate, they're immensely important and they're part of the planet that we absolutely have to save.
3: Um, So when you were writing this story, what were some of the grasslands that you focused on um, for Oklahoma today?
5: Uh, So we had uh, several to work on and we, uh, at Nate's suggestion, we kind of limited it to uh, the ones that are you know, official state protected areas. So uh, one that fascinated me because I'd never been there was Black Kettle. And uh, this is a grassland in uh, that uh, part of the state that, uh, you know, is fairly sparsely populated. um, And we don't hear a lot about it uh, because there are no big cities there, but it's just so rich in history and in ecology. Um, we looked at uh, the Rita Blanca and the Panhandle, which actually goes into enemy territory there in Texas as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, that was the closest to home for me because I grew up in Gaima and I have uh, family out in uh a small town called Wheelers, or a community called Wheelers, that uh, we don't hear much about, and that's you know right in that area. And so that was, in some ways, that was my favorite because uh, I'd been there and I had looked at uh, the pronghorn antelope. I had, I had kind of an exciting, uh, accidentally dangerous encounter with pronghorn there that I was able to write about in the article. Um, <laughs> and just a great spot for birders. And when I lived in that area, I wasn't really into bird watching, And I regret that because it was such a rich area that I kind of only started to realize after I had left that part of the state, how, you know, how much there was to see there. Um, We looked at uh, the tall grass uh, prairie out in Osage County, um, which is in a sense completely different than the others uh, because it's, it is tall grass and that's a different ecology than the short grass. And so all of these are just amazing different places in all these places. We're talking about grass and all the animals and plants that connect with them. And yet all different.
1: Can you elaborate a little bit on that difference between short grass and tall grass prairie, just for uh, listeners who may have, maybe haven't read the story yet.
5: Yeah. um, And, the first difference is obvious it's just the you know it's the type of grass that you find there Uh, but those um, those differences matter and they have to do with uh, how much moisture you get Uh, so of course in the eastern part of the state we have more moisture and this is where the tall grass prairie uh, is found Um, that tall grass prairie um, that used to be the middle of the united states that or what became the united states and um, it's this immense Uh, biome that has been tremendously fragmented and um, almost destroyed. Um, And in some ways, the best preserved piece of it is right there in Oklahoma. And it's one that scientists have studied and uh, looked at how the ecology works, and I, I guess I wanted to pause on that for a minute because th- this is where I learned so much stuff that really excited me. Um, we all know about bison, and you know the bison is iconic Oklahoma, and oh yeah, uh, I grew up knowing about bison, seeing bison. My uncle had a pet bison, and uh well, what? So, yeah, my I'm uncle gonna... had a pet bison. Wow, um, yeah, <laughs> Uncle Dean liked to do things like that uh but the bison didn't like to be penned up and he would take the right. pan apart and carry it around the big uh, fence panels on his horns and so forth and finally he uh decided he didn't like uncle dean that's when uncle dean had to get rid of him uh <laughs> that's not in the story though that, that's just background of why
4: no I got that's a
1: podcast extra just for you listeners that's yeah that's, that's some bonus material
5: <laughs> we, we should do an entire bison episode sometime Uh, But here's what something I didn't know about bison uh, that turns out to be really important. And that is that they have unique fur and their fur is one of the best among mammals for transporting seeds. So uh, when they pass by uh, just doing what bison do, uh, they do what a lot of other grazing animals do, which is to. You know, to eat plants and then pass some of the seeds in their digestive tract. So that's that's uh, something we expect from cattle and from horses and other animals. And so, in that way, they disperse seeds far and wide because they eat and they wander around. Um, but their fur is important because, like all mammals, their fur uh, just happens to snag the little seeds of grasses and weeds and so forth and transport it. And, but the bison fur is, uh, stands out among mammals as being one of the best at transporting dozens and dozens of different kinds of seeds. So when plants encounter a bison, it's a payday and they can um move the bison can move those seeds around you know dozens or hundreds of miles and uh when we're talking about the tall grass prairie yes i do remember what the original question was mm-hmm. um <laughs> the, uh just because of the size of the bison it's especially good for tall grasses to grab onto tall plants of various kinds yeah. uh not i'm not talking about trees mostly but uh the, just the forbs and the weeds and the grasses and all of the things that we find on the tall grass prairie. So tall grasses and bisons go together. They um, evolved together. For uh, tall grasses, uh, part of the way they expect to perpetuate, perpetuate their species is to have animals like this around. It's an intimate connection, uh, that I didn't know anything about, but, uh, science only began to suspect it recently. Now, when scientists studied, um, how good bison were at transporting these seeds, they found out that, um, that not only are they great at transporting all kinds of seeds, but they're especially good at transporting native seeds over, um, Imported ones, non native species. Wow. Uh, and that's just because of coevolution, because of the fact that the bison and those plants that were there two or 300 years ago and, and going back into deep prehistory, uh, they have a special evolved relationship. So when you put bison back in this territory, as they have in uh, the tall grass prairie in Oklahoma, um, those bison are helping to restore. The land that was there before—they're helping to restore the kind of ecology that existed before um, human settlement made such a big change, and then especially European settlement made a catastrophic change.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
3: And when you were studying these, were there, I mean, was there anything else that you learned um, when you were researching grasslands that surprised you, or? but it, it was kind cool
5: yeah I, everything was just a complete shock to me honestly even though i thought i kind of knew about a lot of and i did know a little bit about some of the animals but um just how the people relate to these lands uh and how that's intimately related to ecology that i, I just love stories where that happens and this was one of them um but so for example in the the black kettle area um is named after chief black kettle and i have to admit i knew nothing about him going in um but oh, wow, he's very that's important
1: story too wow
5: yeah yeah um he he had been uh this this spot in oklahoma is the site of a massacre of uh u.s soldiers uh massacring uh black kettle's people and some other uh people were there um But this was the second massacre he had been through in his life. He and his wife had been in Colorado and had when another group was massacred by um, the US Cavalry. And uh, this is, of course, is a long, long story of uh, the conflicts between uh, the indigenous people and uh, the US Cavalry. And but this is kind of an interesting way in to to visit this spot in Oklahoma, because here you have people who were relocated from Colorado. We're used to hearing about the Trail of Tears and all the people that came from the east and were settled in Oklahoma. But here's another group that, uh, you know, after a massacre in Colorado were brought down and and sort of promised uh, a place to live here. Uh, Well, after further conflicts and there was a, you know, a massacre um, in uh, with the Some Arapaho people and so forth, uh, killing settlers in Kansas Um, that the cavalry came, you know, followed a trail uh, to uh, Chief Black Kettle's group. Uh, They probably weren't involved in it, but they may have given shelter to some of the people who were involved in that uh, violence. And so there was a slaughter. And uh, the cavalry leader who was in charge, or who led the on the ground operation was George Armstrong Custer. Uh, and of course, we are more familiar with another massacre that he attempted and uh, failed, <laughs> failed to execute. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is so this is a few years before uh, the Little Bighorn. Uh, but this is a massacre where he did uh, succeeding in killing dozens of people and um I was really struck by uh, the massacre of the horses, of uh, the Arapaho people's horses, because um, Custer knew that if you kill the horses, then you're crippling the people. And um, so he executed a mass slaughter of, I think it was 600 and some horses. And this was such an effect on the land to have a massacre of animals on this land, I guess a mass slaughter is the term I should use. Um, But in the great depression um, now we're, you know, we're jumping ahead decades, but people were still able to go out there with a shovel and shovel up the bones of horses as fertilizer to enrich their land that they had depleted through agriculture because uh, of this historical event that was, you know, 50 or 60 years in the past.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: So, um, I obviously love this story, Gordon. And, um, I love all of your writing. You're we, oh, thank you. it's not an uncommon topic of conversation among our staff, how much we love your writing. Oh, uh, that is true. So nice. <laughs> we do. We talk about it a lot. Um, and, uh, one of the things that you did for us, that is my absolute favorite thing is, uh, in September, 2020, we published a story that you wrote called creature features about some of the strangest Oklahoma animals. Um, which was, of course, right in your wheelhouse. Um, You've got a couple books about strange and dangerous and interesting animals. Um, So can you tell us about some of there were some of these that were legitimately like super surprising to me just because you never thought of them as being unusual. For example, uh, prairie dogs like Mm -hmm. prairie dogs are very synonymous with Oklahoma. But when you really start to look at them, they are weird little things.
5: (laughs) They are. And they're shockingly intelligent and have. languages that uh scientists are still working to to puzzle out so this is kind of uh, is not brand new but it's you know within the last few decades the biologists have, have just made astounding discoveries of this uh, the prairie dogs were my favorite uh thing t- that i've probably ever written about for the magazine after you know out of dozens of pieces that we've done um and because my uh my father who passed away recently this was the last thing that he helped me with um, <laughs> Uh, thank you. Um, he uh, he was just a lover of the outdoors and he worked outdoors and he, um, uh, you know, he's not an artistic kind of a guy at all, but he just loved to be outdoors and to watch the birds and all that. And uh, one of the last things that he pointed out to me, he he's, was always putting me on to interesting animal behavior to, to look into. Um, and he was, you know, kind of he was. He introduced me to rattlesnakes years ago. <laughs> it's another topic we did in Oklahoma today. Years ago.
1: Always nice. Introduce your kids to rattlesnakes. <laughs> yeah,
5: I, with with appropriate safety lessons, I should say. Right. Um, but um, it, with the prairie dogs, he saw this weird behavior, um, where, if, and this is horrible. But the, if a prairie dog got run over on the road. um, the other prairie dogs would come out and the way my dad described it was they were holding a funeral and they would, they would sort of make these peculiar noises over them that you didn't hear them make other times. So it was like, they were standing over this dead body and, you know, singing or praying or I don't know what they were doing. And uh, so he said, you know, there, there you go. There's a topic for you that you might be interested in knowing about. And I was, and uh, I reached out to an expert on prairie dogs and said, how to explain this what's going on and he said i've never seen that in my life so i was well you know this dad must have seen something odd and just misinterpreted or something but i started looking around and it is documented it has been observed many times in uh, places other than oklahoma uh and we don't we still don't know what these prairie dogs are doing um if it's some sort of a warning uh we know for example that squirrels sometimes if they see a something bad I went to another squirrel they sort of warn the neighborhood uh mm-hmm. and that might be what's going on here um it, but so it was sort of horrible because it depends on roadkill <laughs> on animals getting run over um but uh it, isn't it was just, that
1: amazing though like even something like roadkill which you when you don't try not to think about it when you do ugh. but even then there's something to learn there there right it there's always something to learn from everything. I love, and I, I feel like that spirit really imbues your writing and it's what makes it one of the things that makes it so great.
5: I Thank you. I absolutely. That's what I in it for because every time out I find out, even if it was a topic that I had spent a lot of time on or a lot, had a lot of experience with, I'm just totally, you know, Educated uh, again, all over again, by all sorts of new things that are happening that I didn't know about, or maybe that science didn't even know about up to that point, up to you know recent years. Uh, so it's it's the bison fur thing all over again. Who knew bison fur can carry more kinds of seeds than any other mammal that we find in the tallgrass prairie?
1: And native seeds. Bison are America first. Mm.
5: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Absolute protectionist grazing. <laughs>
3: So are there any sort of, pro- any any new writing projects you're working on right now?
5: I This is weird, but I'm writing horror stories mostly these days. Oh. Uh, so it has nothing to do with our nature writing stuff that we often do in Oklahoma That's today. Exciting. But, um, yeah, you know, um, it's just something I always wanted to do. And uh, as I kind of, you know, got further and further into my writing career, I thought, you know, I could take the time to do this now.
3: I think... Are, are you are you going to publish? Are they going to be published? Any like? Do you yeah, have there
5: are a few right of them now? are coming out in magazines and so forth. And and okay. uh, I don't have a book to announce yet, but I I hope to eventually. That's uh, but I I just loved American writers like Ambrose Beers that um, sometimes taking off from natural subjects, sometimes talk, taking off from history subjects like what we did with uh, the the uh, with the grasslands piece. Uh, mm-hmm. Would sort of come up with some weird angle that made it into yeah. a, a neat horror story.
1: Yeah, that's what I loved about this piece. I mean, really, more than anything, is it's like you can't you can't look out across Oklahoma, urban or rural, and not see grass. And so the, it kind of begs the question: like, well, where does grass need to be protected? It's everywhere, uh, right. but it's 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 so much more, and it gives and does and is so much more than we think. Just because it's everywhere doesn't mean that we understand it.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, and, and the different kinds of grass, how things that it, they don't necessarily look interesting uh, from the top. But uh, we've just, you know, in recent decades, found out that lawns are a terrible idea, for example. Yeah. Um, a lawn is, is not a good environmental thing to have. Um, and so I, I'm hard to see. What's that? It's also a pain in the butt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but we, you know, people uh, here and there are starting to have native prairie instead of a lawn and to maintain that and to you know have ecologists and biologists help them to understand how you can recreate just in your own little space some you know uh, a bit of what's kind of supposed to be there and um, every little bit helps. This is one thing that we're finding out, uh, not we you know, scientists, but uh, you know, what, what the scientists are finding out is that every little patch of uh, ground that you can create, every little bit of ocean that you can return to its natural state has immense after effect. It's not, you know, it's, it's not hopeless. Um, it's something that we can do to to make the world literally a better place and a place that we can continue to live in.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And so, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, listeners, you have Oklahoma today's permission not to mow your
5: grass. Yes. (laughs) No more mowing. Neighborhood or associations are going to love me. Put some native grasses there.
3: What are some of the, like in Oklahoma, what are some of your favorite animal species uh, in this state?
5: Uh, I love all of them. Um, (laughs) my, my answer for number one is going to creep some people out, but I love the black widow spider, um, which I think is just, of course it's, you know, since there's, it's slightly dangerous. So it's understandably people are not happy to go out and pet one and they shouldn't, but it's just absolutely a beautiful animal this sleek black appearance. And that was one that I studied a lot and, uh, was kind of the centerpiece of my first book, the red hourglass. And it's another example of where the more you look at it and learn about it, there just it just kind of opens up the whole world. It's a it's an entry point into uh, an ecology that who knew was there. And so that's my number one favorite, the black widow spider.
1: That's a really good answer.
5: Oh, that- I like that answer.
1: I <laughs> yeah, would say that- I don't love them all mosquitoes and ticks. Mm-hmm. I, I do not love.
5: Yeah. I, I have to admit that some of them I'll squash, uh, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I'm not interested in them as a topic anyway.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Gordon, thank you so much for your great writing. I can't wait for us to work with you again. Yeah. Uh, reader, listeners, if you haven't, definitely get the March, April issue and read Gordon's story. It's called Out of Hopeful Green Stuff Woven. And it you will never look at a field, a pasture of grass the same way again after you read that story. I know I won't and haven't since the first time I read it. So, Gordon, thank you so much for all your awesome work. I can't look.
5: Let's let's find something else to do because. Yeah, absolutely.
1: You're an absolute treasure and we love having your words in, in the magazine.
5: Well, thanks. Thanks for all the nice words, And uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Gordon. Take care.
1: I love that man. He's yeah. such a good writer. I, every, uh, I, I don't. I have a story assignment, like a story, a feature that was my idea that I kind of want to do. And I'm like, I feel like Gordon would do it better. And I'm about half tempted to give it to him mm-hmm. instead.
0: Every time uh, I see a Gordon Grice story coming up uh, in the issue, it's always like, hooray. I know. Like it's just. I mean, I, I love, we put out really great issues all the time, but, but a Gordon Grice story is almost always. It elevates
1: everything. It
0: just, yeah. it's. So, uh, yeah, he's yeah. such a great writer. Well, now it is time for us to once again plumb the depths of TravelOK.com's calendars for our weekly pod vents. And first up this week
4: is Ben. More than 500 years ago, the great visionary artist Michelangelo was tasked with creating perhaps a single – most impressive work of visual art ever charged to man, the murals of the Sistine Chapel. His canvas, the Vatican roof and walls covering a space of 133 feet by 46 feet seems to stretch as wide as its celestial inspiration. It took Michelangelo and his assistants innumerable innumerable painstaking hours to bring the heavenly scene to life. And the end result, one of Earth's greatest wonders. And then one day it rained and washed it all away. And Michelangelo said, dang it, I knew I shouldn't have used chalk. Who left the window open? And from then on out, good old Mikey only painted fresco. So the lesson here is maybe don't use chalk to create works of monumental significance. But, if you ask me, there is some beauty in the lack of permanence the chalk medium provides. Is true art, after all, the object itself? Or those finite moments we, as breathing, feeling humans, spend with it? And nowhere is this more apparent than at the Montmartre Chalk Art Festival in Chickasha. This annual event on the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma campus invites artists of all ages to create their own sidewalk chalk murals and compete for prizes in one of four age categories and you'll have to come up with something better than hopscotch squares if you want to win Best of all, this event is being held in conjunction with the Droverstock Music Festival, so live music, food, and vendor booths uh, will be in abundant supply. The free event is scheduled for Thursday, April 7th. For more information, call 405-574-1302 or visit usao.edu.
1: That was inspiring. I am inspired.
4: (laughs) It's all true facts.
1: It's all true facts.
0: Uh, Megan, what's your event this week?
1: Well, when I
3: first heard the words Green Country Ham Fest, (laughs) my heart skipped a beat, but... You're going to have to leave your carving knives in the car because (laughs) this ham fest is on a different wavelength. A longer one, in fact. These are hams of the radio variety. Uh, Amateur radio operators communicate on small frequency bands all across the world and can even bounce signals off the moon in some cases. So at the Claremore Expo Center on April 8th and 9th, you can take an exam for your FCC amateur radio license. You can check out the newest equipment Equipment for sale and even swap gear with other ham heads. For more information, visit greencountryhamfest.org. Again, it has nothing to do with my favorite deli meat. Uh-huh. This
1: is a radio thing. <laughs> and it actually, it sounded pretty. <laughs> I am talking on the radio. <laughs>
3: it, it sounds pretty. It sounds fun. It sounds pretty cool deal. I, I was th- like, there are just all these things, like all these channels you can get on and just like talk to other mm-hmm. people. And I was like, if somebody gave me a ham radio, I'd probably use it. I don't know if I would buy one myself,
1: but. That's a pretty cool thing, though. Like, but you it's, just, yeah. It's kind of bouncing yeah, signals off the. Moon. Yeah, I just bounce that off the moon. <laughs> No big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, That's cool. Yeah, Come I mean, on. I saw that. But, I, I was mean, like... I will say, though, no, I, if anyone is out there and feeling, you know, just a huge sense of uh, I'm needing you... a project, a ham festival I, oh, no, is I a know. great idea.
3: Or, you know what, I bet you can bring some ham with you to the. I will take some ham to I the, mean, the ham festival. Yeah.
1: I not that you, just you know, just a, go home and in eat in some Ziploc ham. Bag. Why aren't <laughs> like... there ham food trucks? There should be. There's I've, another idea. Yeah. We're just giving out all the free ideas here.
3: I have
2: they're uh, mostly ham based.
1: On Oklahoma so, today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this
3: this whole thing has gotten a little Yay. ham fisted. Yeah, you can make your own ham fest anytime, <laughs> anywhere.
1: That's <laughs> true. Yeah. Anywhere you are is a ham
2: festival.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> all right. <laughs> If you're looking for the ham festival, it's all around you. Nathan, what's
0: your I don't know sure event this week? I don't know.
1: Um, okay, no, it starts with a very controversial opinion, and don't yell at me. Oh, oh. The chocolate gets a bad rap. Remember how much Kathy from the comic strip Kathy hated chocolate and was all. And how its singular hatred defined not only her personality but the personalities of millions of people over the past however many decades. I mean, how many times have we heard the word "chokaholic" used as a slur? Wait, hmm? no. Oh, really? okay well I am being informed by the pretend news anchor earpiece in my ear that in fact chocolate is quite popular and (laughs) beloved by many possibly even most humans so my bad if you find yourself in this happy majority and also want to do some good for your community may I suggest purchasing a ticket for Automobile Alley's Chocolate Decadence fundraiser this Thursday April 7th at 6.30pm filling downtown OKC's Leadership Square with the rich aroma of chocohol this fancy pants soiree raises money for Automobile Alley while completely enabling your sugar addiction in a totally lovely way. <laughs> so get dressed up, grab a date, and get ready to vote for your favorite form of chocolate. Tickets start at $75 and include free tasting dishes, wine and champagne, and access to a really killer raffle and silent auction. For tickets, it's, this is a great date night, by the way. Great. Like, if you're really trying to impress, if you're really trying to put that best foot forward, get these tickets because it's a good one. For tickets or more info, call 405-235-3500 or visit automobilealley.org.
0: Okay. Can I, as, as someone who has attended a few of these, yeah. um, I just want to- Do you have
1: some pro tips? I do. Okay.
0: I do. Um, Chocolate is the brown stuff.
1: Is that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Take a walk around first. Okay. Figure out what it is you want. Okay. Do not try to eat everything. You will make yourself sick. I don't feel like we need this kind of negativity on our <laughs> podcast. This don't something... try to eat everything. Who does? Okay. He, who do you think you're talking to? Well, first of all, as a former judge of this event, I had to eat everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, it made, and it made me ill. And this is not news to the people who organized the event. They even, they're like, I can't believe people try to eat one of everything. You can't do it. <laughs> Hold my beer. <laughs> uh, Carly, what's your event this week?
2: First things first, I'm the realist. Drop this and let the whole world feel it. <laughs> I'm still in the murder business. I can hold you down like I'm teaching lessons in physics. Iggy Azalea, the Australian rapstress who penned those lyrics, was definitely not the inspiration for Muskogee's annual Azalea Festival. (laughs) In fact, it started in 1968, many years before Iggy was hatched. But you could certainly describe one of the nation's top spring events as fancy. Throughout the month of April, there will be a parade, chili cook-off, quilt exhibits, food and wine tastings, foot races. And those aren't even the mess parts. At the center of it all is Honor Heights Park, where visitors can see more than 30,000 azaleas in 625 wow. varieties. Muskogee got the whole world asking how they does that. If you'd like to know how, <laughs> call 918-682-2401 or visit muskogee.org.
1: That was truly inspired. Good job. Oh, good that job. That's a really fun event, though, and it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it yeah like it's it. really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> that was
0: good. Greg, what you got for us? <clears throat> When the cowboys look fly, but they aren't serving pie, that's a cobbler. <laughs> That's my perspective theme song. Call me for the Chisholm Trail Heritage Center's Cowboys and Cobbler Throwdown on April 9th in Duncan. From noon until 4 p.m., guests can hear cowboy poets and singers while taste-testing a variety of competition cobblers. $5 gets you a taste of five different cobblers, which seems like a great deal for people like me who love both cowboy poets and giant fruit pies without that pesky bottom crust. Check out on OnTheChisholmTrail.com for more delicious poetic information information. Y'all... We need to go to that. <laughs> Actually, can I, uh, that sounds like a cobblers that's and
2: cowboys. two Louisa. of my favorite things in one place. I
1: know, in a place that's pretty cool. Uh, the Chisholm Trail Center in Duncan is so cool, in fact, that Carly and I were there recently and um, ended up, we were supposed to go to uh, to help Lori, our photographer, with a shoot, and we were just, we stayed too long at the museum because it was so fun.
2: Uh-huh. And we ended we, up not making it. We both found out that we can lead a trail ride.
1: We can. Uh-huh. We are qualified to trail boxers. Yeah. an entire cattle drive oh, wow.
2: <laughs> thank so, you very much you know, how do you figure <laughs> we took a quiz
1: uh, yeah there's a quiz
3: you uh, can take yes. it's uh, very
2: scientific I took it's a
1: quiz they told me I was Spanish so. <laughs> and look at you you
2: <laughs> Spanish lady yeah
0: yeah Penelope Cruz sitting right here in front of us hola yeah. <laughs> well the sound of Iggy Azalea bragging to all of her friends that she was on the <laughs> Oklahoma Today podcast right. means that the podcast is coming to a close join us again next week or if you just can't get enough head to Oklahoma Today and pick up our latest issue on newsstands right now Send feedback to OKTPod at TravelOK.com And we'll talk to you again next week The Oklahoma Today podcast is a production of Oklahoma Today magazine And the Oklahoma Tourism and Recreation Department Your hosts are Oklahoma Today editors Nathan Gunner, Greg Elwell, Carly Ibarra, Megan Rossman, and Ben Lucian Theme song editing and production helped by Oklahoma Today's production manager, Bridget Sloan For more information, visit OklahomaToday.com Goodbye Iggy Azalea
1: should perform at the Azalea Festival it's only right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that event was the realist. <laughs>